0: Hello and welcome to the February 13th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, this is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. hello everybody mr. Joe here it's good to be back Uh, it's been a few days but it was very important for me to follow up with I guess you can call it my part two of the series which I like to call self-medication and substance abuse but before I actually get into anything that has to do with the aforementioned topic I think it's important that um, I discuss how I'm feeling Um, right right now at the moment uh, I feel good I do I feel really good today was a good day other than the fact that um, I was completely thrown off in terms of my stress level and it's just unbelievable for those of you who do live with bipolar disorder um, you know we sometimes tend to forget how much stress really affects us in terms of our symptoms at least I know for myself that it's it's amazing what it does to me now I don't want to get too much into what transpired today but in in a, in a nutshell right around tax season every year it's been kind of a big issue for myself and my wife and my, my family in the sense that my ex-wife um, she cost me a lot of money in my divorce and you know, a lot of, a lot of unnecessary fighting, stuff that I'm not proud of. I tried my very best, uh, time and time again, to talk with her to come to some kind of a um, an agreement so that her and I didn't land in a court system. And I have to say, the interesting thing about all of it is that we had absolutely nothing to fight about when it came to our children. Um, she was fine with me having joint custody of them. That that was never the issue. It was little minor details that I could honestly tell you now and it's it's if you're going through a divorce you have to try your very best to avoid getting into these little ridiculous back-and-forth nitpicking type of situations because it's gonna end up costing you $30,000 minimum and I gotta tell you I don't think it cost me that much but it wasn't too far off it really wasn't a little less maybe still paying it off to this day and I'm 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 embarrassed about it and one of the things that we ended up fighting about was the fact that I thought it was in within my rights to claim one of my children each year for our tax return Uh, my lawyer had advised uh, our financial advisor my wife and my financial advisor had advised as a matter of fact my ex-wife uses the same financial advisor as me um, and, you know, the information was conveyed to both of us that it was the most fair way to go about this situation. And what ended up happening is my ex-wife fought me on the situation and I refused to back down. That was one of the, the small bickering things. According to my financial advisor, it wasn't too small of a thing to bicker over, but I refused to back down on those, in that point. And believe it or not, there were only two points that we fought on. One of them being driving back and forth both ways she wanted me to drive and I did that for a period of five years where I would pick the children up I would drop them off do both ways and at some point you know I kind of got tired of it and it wasn't anything that I wanted to do but I had brought it up to my lawyer at the time she said you shouldn't be doing that anymore it's a shared responsibility so we didn't think it would be an issue and of course my ex-wife fought me on that one and she fought me on the tax return uh, and both issues, unfortunately, were taken in front of a judge, and it did not go to trial. It was immediately resolved, I believe, on the second or third visit. You know, they do a lot of uh, postponements and nonsense where we waste a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money. But the judge took one look at it and immediately granted me what I wanted. So for $30,000, it cost me to claim one of my children and drive, uh, you know, uh, just one way to pick up and drop off my children we have to share that responsibility I, I probably in the amount of gas that I would save picking and dropping off I probably didn't I probably paid more in lawyer fees than it would have cost me to pick or drop up my children which is an absolute shame um, but you know even to this day she's still thank goodness I, I won't say to this day but up until about a year ago she's still still gave me a hard time even with the divorce decree in place it would be as simple as okay whose turn is it to pick up whose turn is it to drop off and no matter whose turn it was she wanted to do the opposite and if I didn't listen to her she would threaten for me not to see my children and oh, it was just a horrible horrible situation so to my point for the last two years she has claimed both children on the tax return because I've allowed her to do so um and and ultimately she ends up writing me out a check and she has decided to do this because her tax consultant advised her that because of the bracket that she's in for her income she would get a lot more than i would get and you know i really don't know the whole circumstances what i do know is that benefits her which i want to believe benefits my children although i have no proof that it really does and i want a clean break from this entire situation me and my wife we want to be done with it i don't want any checks from her it doesn't matter to me who makes more money anymore as a matter of fact depending on the bracket that i fall in it might even benefit me for how to ch- claim both children this year but i just i want a clean break this is what i paid all this money for and sure as anything trying to be proactive i I sent an email about a month ago to my ex wife and i said Listen i don't want you calling me when you're getting your tax done and putting me on a spot and doing what you did to me last year. This is we're following the divorce agreement, you know whatever the odd, even years are. I believe this year I get Sarah Lee and um, she gets junior whatever it is you know uh, odd years I get the daughter, even years she gets the son i, I don't remember how it works I got to look at it, but gave her a warning a month ago and She said, yeah, no problem, wrote me back quickly, and of course, today, uh, we have a lot going on with a home modification that I had gotten for my ex-wife. Now, keep in mind, the divorce decree also states that the house is to be sold. She has lived in that home for a period of five years without paying a mortgage, and I have played the game back and forth with her, not paying a mortgage, ruining my credit, ruining my name, because it's all under my name, and I've tried to get her modifications and I've succeeded I got her one that was extremely reasonable and she had to make three trial payments and she ruined that because she didn't make all three of them on time so they was null and void the agreement what do I do I go out and get her another one and now that is they want an answer can she afford it and it's a very reasonable deal again it's not as good as the last one okay because I would imagine her income has increased at this point in time so you know it's not as good as the last one and she can't afford it so you know the house has to be short sold and it, it makes me sick because you know it's under my name my children live there I would love for her to be able to afford it take the mortgage out of my name it would be a win-win for everybody in the long run and ultimately my children would be able to stay in school and where they are because they live with her during the week and uh, you know she can't afford it so that's been a stress on my mind and uh you know she called me today again about the taxes, and I thought we had resolve this and Of course, she gave me some sob story of how you know it would help pay for camp and you know just to think about it, and you know she'll she'll give a little extra at camp. I happen to pay sixty six percent of all extra expenses, so in other words, if the kids go to camp, I got to pay sixty six percent of it, and she pays the rest, so it's a quite of an expense for me in, on top of child support payments that I give her even though the kids are with me every weekend and every holiday vacation when school is out they're with me I mean I try to do the right thing I do I try to do the right thing and me and my wife are struggling now we got a little Mickey you know we have our own child too together so I got three kids and it's not easy but I didn't expect to be confronted with this tax situation again I thought I got over it and the moral of the story is uh, my wife and I fought over it because I impulsively called her up and I said, you know, maybe we should think about this. And I was so adamant about the fact that I didn't want to think about it anymore. And she had to remind me that, you know, we want to break away from this woman. We don't want to have any connections with her anymore. Only if it has to do with my children. She's got a boyfriend. You know, she calls me. She threatens me. She'll wake up. If she wakes up on the wrong side of bed, she'll tell me how she's taken me back to court. You know, I try my best to ignore it. It's not easy. And... You know, she'll 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 make fun of my bipolar disorder, she'll throw it in my face, she will call me a drug addict, she'll tell me that I sniffed my children's life away, and this is all unprompted, and this is not this is not made up stuff. So, you know, today she was real nice about it because she wanted something. Um and, you know, I, I kind of agreed to it at first and I said, Well, let's think about it, you know, I really didn't want to do this. I wrote you an email. Anyway, the amount of stress that was caused to me today. I absolutely, I I mean, I felt my body, I felt felt like I almost went into shock. The amount of racing thoughts that went through my mind, I mean, what gives me the right, bipolar or not, to scream at my wife about something that we agreed on just a short while ago and to tell her that I'm going to drive off a road, I'm going to drive off a bridge, I'm going to crash into a tree, I can't take the stress anymore, I mean, who says that mental illness or no mental illness I guess if you have bipolar you have an excuse because afterwards you think about it and you say what is wrong with me and that's the beauty of medication because this is a fight where I wouldn't have not seen the light of day for three or four days until I would have woke up out of my manic trance and I would have been apologizing to my wife three days later but you know what it took me about three minutes this time around and I felt horrible But in those three minutes that I fought with her, again, those comments came out of my mouth. I'm going to drive off a road. I'm going to smash into a tree. I can't take this stress anymore. You know, it's just not a good way to act. Now, with that being said, my original thought process was to update you on this past Sunday because I think Mr. Joe got a little too cocky. And I'll tell you why, okay? Okay. I've done a lot of talking about my mixed episodes, and, you know, listen, guys, mixed episodes is not fun. There are times when you just feel like you are psychotic, especially when you have rapid rapid cycling bipolar disorder, and, you know, it's happening every 14 days or so. You have a little bit of stability in between, and you think that you've kind of, you know, evened out, keeled out, and you're normal, and then, bam, all of a sudden, the mania hits again, and... You know you 're doing laundry and you 're happy and you 're dancing around and you 're singing and you're rapping and you know you, you know you're like like a little little um, party animal on fire, then all of a sudden the irritability sets in, and before you know it you 're upstairs in your son 's room because nobody's home and you 're crying and you're cutting yourself and you're happy and you're saying ah, i 'm in a good mood and then you're t- dialing a number for a suicide hotline and You're crying and you're yelling at your wife and then you're saying you're sorry and that really stinks. But I've been a little overconfident about the fact that I have not really suffered from any kind of depressive state. And I have to say, I think I jumped the gun and I got a little too, uh, got a little too overconfident, a little too cocky because this Sunday, I'm going to tell you right now, I woke up and I have not felt this way and I don't know how many years okay but I woke up and I honestly felt like the world was caving in on me I had immediate suicidal thoughts within the first I'd say five to seven minutes of opening my eyes I recall sitting in the bath, well standing in the bathroom and being over the sink and you know if uh, if it's on the weekend and I'm not showering first thing in the morning I wash my face to kind of wake myself up Uh, my little routine, I have to wash and then put my contact lenses in, brush my teeth. So here I am washing my face, and I look in the mirror and I say, I want to die. I, I, I want to die. I feel like I want to kill myself. And it instantly scared the living daylights out of me. And I said, why do I feel like this? And you know, then you start to, I don't want to say feel sorry for yourself, but you start to question, you know, I'm on medication why is this happening to me and you know even during the day I said to my wife I said I don't know if I'm on the right medication and that's what makes you wonder those are that is a beautiful example of why bipolar people will come off their medications for two reasons one because they feel so good and they're manic and god I've been there before you know there were times when I was manic didn't matter if I was self-medicating or not, you know, if I was smoking weed, if I was drinking, if I was on those pills for my bipolar disorder and I was up high in the sky, I would say, eh, I don't need this, I don't need meds. And before you knew it, I would I would come up with a master plan to wean off my Depakote, you know, and I'd, up, uh, oh, I'm going to go f- from 2,000 to 1,500 tomorrow, and then in three days, I'll go down to a and 500, and I'm breaking them in half, and before you know it, I'll be off, and then I'm driving home from work, and I'm around the corner from my ex-wife's house where I used to live, and I'm at a stop sign pulled over, and I'm hysterical crying with my hands in my, my, my face in my hands saying, please God help me, you know, um, and before you know it, I'm back on medication. Or, you know, you're in a depressive state, which has never happened to me in this sense of the word, where I said, maybe I'm not on the right medication. i got to just stop this and just try something else because it's not working. I haven't been depressed in so long. This is, this is making me depressed. But here's the good news. By Monday, it was gone. Okay, now fast forward to Monday. I'm not going to give you the whole details about Sunday. It was a rough day. The good thing is I've worked through it. I was able to walk the dogs with my wife. We took the baby, I was able to smile. It was a fake smile. I did tell my wife I was struggling. I said "Today is one of the hardest days that I've had in a long time." And she looked at me and she said, "I know." She didn't even have to I didn't even have to say it. she knew. She looked in my eyes, she said, "I see it. I see it. I see your body language. I see how how scared you are." she said. You know, she used to just tell me, don't worry, work through it. Those, those words don't come out of her mouth anymore. This time around, she hugged me. She put her arms around me, and she just told me she understood. And that, to me, was the best feeling that I've ever had in a long time because I had a partner who finally gets it. She doesn't experience it, but she finally gets it. And, uh, you know, uh, that gave me the will to want to fight through it and say, this has got to be temporary. Now, listen, guys, it's not that easy when you are in that depression and it there, it is never ending. I don't, if I would have felt like that again, Monday, this would have probably been a different podcast. If it would have been, you know, Tuesday where we are now, I don't think I'd be recording this podcast. But here I am. I'm all right. I woke up Monday and it was like, man, it was like it never even happened. So that's the beauty of medication, you know, and that's why I think it is so darn important to stay on your medication and to make sure when you're taking your medication, you are not combining illicit drugs or alcohol in combination with your medication. And, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody, but I'm seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter, and I'm listening to a variety of different podcasts lately, and there are a lot of really cool ones coming out with bipolar. There's some great stuff going on out there. There is a new one that I'm listening to. Um happens to be a female she's amazing she's got a voice like an angel she makes me feel so wonderful in terms of her voice is so soothing if you haven't listened by now it's a uh, b- b- bipolar beautiful bipolar uh, she talks about borderline personality disorder um, you know I don't actually have it on me right now um, the exact name of it I'm gonna look hold on that B word how could I forget that <laughs> great podcast, but you know, and I don't want to pick on her cause she's incredible, but something caught, I listened to her most recent episode today and she had an interview on, uh, she was interviewing somebody who was, um, did a great job. She really did it. She gave her whole life story. But one of the things that threw me off was, you know, she turned around and she said she used to drink, doesn't do so anymore, but she has a bloody Mary every once in a while. Something along those lines. And, you know, at that point, I actually shut the podcast off. Um, and it was kind of, you know, twofold. I had to leave for work and kind of made me a little upset because I said, wow, this was going so good. And I was so proud of her. And, you know, she sounded a little manic during the um, conversation. Not, not, not the host. She never does. She so uh, you know, regardless of what state of mind she might be in, she is an absolute gem on that microphone she has a voice that is absolutely made for radio and uh but our guest today made it sound like almost like eh, you know bloody mary and listen i used to down bloody mary's like it was nobody's business that was actually my favorite drink and i used to down bloody mary's while i was on depakote and syroquil and lamictal and cymbalta and i would drink and drink and drink and drink and drink so but i don't do it, i don't do it anymore and that's why I believe I am able to come out of these dark deep depressions after only a day or stay in hypomania and maybe not jump into that manic mode so something to keep in mind because you know we look back on my life and I got to tell you bipolar was there my entire life I even think and I believe i'm not sure exactly where we left off but i'll I'll give you a quick quick brief um, summary of, of, I guess you could say, um, back at work, after I came home from college and college, listen, college was nothing about nothing but fighting, constant fighting, constant drinking. I wasn't on medication. I was completely undiagnosed. Okay. I had no idea that I had bipolar disorder and all I did was run around fighting people. It was a constant, um, and, and what's interesting is I think I might have talked about my sexual activity at college and what's amazing is it wasn't even for the sex I don't think I think it was more of just I can do it I can get that one I can get that girl was to prove to myself and to brag about it like a fool and then I came home from college and this is before I was even engaged and I think about my relationships at work and I probably wasn't in my in my job for more than a month and I was already dating the lead um, program leader in the in in the place that I was working I mean and sadly uh, one of the things that would go on is you know each weekend we would fight and we'd bring our problems into work and she would just want to not argue, and just be happy, and I had no ability to do so, you know, with bipolar disorder, you just want to fight, you want to pick the stupidest fight, you're mad at everything, you know, Uh, you know, before you know it, I'm breaking up with her, I'm going back out with her, I'm breaking up with her, I'm, I'm hurting her feelings, and nothing matters, because no matter what I do, I'm right, she's wrong, and, you know, so there I am developing work relationships, and Um, you know, your mouth sometimes, you can't even control it. And there were times, there was one time that I made the mistake and I have learned in my professional career that one thing you don't want to ever say about a child is a child is disgusting. Uh, Not your own and not somebody else's. Okay. Now I've made a few mistakes in my career and uh, only a few. And that's (laughs) God's honest truth. And none of them are, are that big. And most of them are, are from when I was young and, and a little bit more immature and really didn't know the rules, so to speak. And in this particular instance, uh, I, I, you know, and I always had a love for children. I always had a love for autism. It was always my thing. As a matter of fact, I'm one of those tattoo guys who kind of uh, is... Uh, I regret all my tattoos, to be honest with you, but I got a lot of them. And one of them happens to be the autism awareness, uh, the puzzle piece. And I got the entire puzzle all over a part of my body. And I won't tell you where it is, or, you know, just so I won't be identified if somebody's listening in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. But I do have it on me, and it's quite visible. So I've loved autism from day one, since I've been doing this at the age of 16. In this particular place that I was working, there was some young man, and I used to have bathroom duty. One of the things about autism, especially with the males, that whether you know or you don't know, is they have a very hard time urinating the proper way. And what I mean by that is I actually used to have to train them to urinate in a way where they didn't drop their pants uh lower than their buttocks. You know, uh because they they literally would drop their pants to their knees. Now think about it. Have you ever walked into a stall really and seen if you're a man, you don't typically walk into a stall, uh into a bathroom at the urinals and see men with their pants down to their ankles (laughs) it's just not something you see okay and that's not the way it's supposed to be when you when you go to the bathroom so i used to train these kids to try to keep their pants up above their buttocks this one young boy who i I thought was just so adorable he was great he was really good at it but one of the things that he used to do is as he would urinate he would kind of um he would lean over his own shoulder and he would spit and he would allow the spit to hang down. And uh, by the way, you know, back, uh, back then it meant something to me. Now that means nothing to me. Unfortunately, in my occupation today, I'm spit on once a week and I'm, I'm hit once a week. I'm scratched once a week, uh, attempts to bite once a week. These are things that do not phase me at all. This is my life. And I don't have to do any of these things, just so you know. I can just train others to deal with these behaviors, but I choose to deal with them on a a once-a-week basis. Nevertheless, when I was, good God, uh, 19 or 20 at the time, my instinctual instinctual reaction was to say, that's disgusting. So I said those words and uh, never thought anything of it. And about a day or two later, I was called into the office And Mr. Mr. Bipolar Big Shot Joe thought he was getting called into the office for a raise, to be promoted, you know, because you're just so good at what you do, okay? And little did I know that the uh, director of the program was going to sit me down and not only, only tell me that somebody told on my words, which, you know, I learned a valuable lesson, but I was also told that I was out, and I remember the conversation so distinctly, that I was told that I had run out of my paid time off days seven or eight days ago. I don't remember the exact number. It was either seven or eight. So in other words, I've gone eight over. So for the last eight days that I've called out, they were unpaid days. I don't know how many I get. I'm very lucky at my current job. I get 32 paid days off a year with my current job. Now back then, you know, I think it was eight or 10 or 12 something, which wasn't so bad. Okay. I was 19, 20 years old, but I had utilized all those days, and I went seven or eight days over without being paid, didn't even realize it in my paycheck, had absolutely no clue, and had no clue that I had gone over. I mean, that's how lost in my brain that I was. So fast forward to where I met my ex-wife. And I do not want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but it should not surprise anybody that being bipolar, you're going to travel to another state to meet somebody. And that's exactly what I did. I met this person in another state. And like everything else in life, as with bipolar disorder, instinctively you meet them, you come home, and you're in love, and you can't wait, and you know, you rush it, and you're great. Oh, good God, you know, this is it. And before you know it, I am, you know, I'm, I'm driving back and forth every single weekend to see this woman, or she's driving to me, and mostly I'm driving to her. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy trip. It was two hours away. It was certain something that should have never, t- never took place. To be honest with you, and what's saddest of all is that every single weekend, what I would do is I would drink, I would drink, I would drink. Now I was not doing any drugs at this point other than smoking marijuana on a limited basis and using alcohol for my symptoms of bipolar. And after the weekend, after I did excessive amount of drinking, what I would do is I would spend the entire week trying to go to work, but extremely depressed, extremely depressed. So if I made it to work, if I was lucky enough to make it to work, um, you know, I would be miserable at my job miserable to the point where at at some point in my life they actually pulled me out of the field and they brought me into the office to uh, work as an administrative position in the office because I just wasn't cutting it anymore out in the field so they brought me in the office and guess what happens in the office which uh, within two weeks I'm already developing another relationship behind my ex-wife's back okay because why because that's what we do. And, and, and it's funny because what had happened was the drinking began to stop to some extent. Why? Because probably I was feeding my mania in the sense where I didn't need the alcohol. I was getting my thrills from the fact that I was now involved with a woman not sexually at this point but emotionally and that was pretty much probably all I needed at the time because it was daring and exciting and you know it's funny too because this woman that I had met at work I remember us being in a parking garage just talking and she had told me that she had a problem with cocaine before she met me and she had been clean for about a year she shared a lot of personal stuff with me and I remember saying to myself, good God, this is a real turn-off. <laughs> I said, I don't want somebody like this. And she, she reassured me that she hadn't touched it in a year, and I just couldn't even imagine. I said, I can't even imagine what would, that would have been like. Like, that's kind of crazy. I, I, I wouldn't never ever that stuff in my life. Little did I know, a couple of short years later, I'd be snorting cocaine with my ex-wife. So, um, you know, nevertheless right before I got married what do I do I have I start having an intimate relationship with this woman who is also getting married I was getting married in September she was getting married before me in June there is no doubt in my mind that this woman also had bipolar disorder because she was just as screwed up as I was and here we are having this intimate relationship doing everything that you could imagine at that age that was daring and things were very different back then you know uh, phone bills used to be able to be printed out um, you know, uh, and I'm talking about home phone bills when home phones were a thing of, um, that were, that were big guys. There was a time where there weren't cell phones, you know, I didn't even have a cell phone at this time. So our entire relationship, well, I might've had one, um, uh, actually I might've, but it was not something that was utilized. There was probably a cap on the minutes. Um, text messaging wasn't even a thing at this point. So, you know, my ex-wife living very far from me during the week, um, instead of sleeping and instead of drinking and instead of, uh, you know, drinking on the weekends slowly but surely, I started to to not see my ex-wife anymore, you know, and instead I choose to be on the phone with this girl and meet her in different places. And, you know, now I'm not drinking anymore on the weekends because I am feeding my bipolar disorder with something that's daring and exciting and fun and new and wrong and, um, you know, not, nothing about it mattered to me uh so her and i you know like i said she's getting married in june i'm getting married in september and here we are having an intimate relationship only to find out that she's hiding you know i'll never forget one day she called me like a nervous wreck she said i gotta get home my my fiance is at the house and i have my phone bill printed out that's where i was going with that my phone bill printed out and it's on my desk in my room and oh my god if he sees it he's gonna see your number all over it i mean and you know, these are the things that we get ourselves in trouble with, and we and we say, you know, we don't think about the consequences then, and I know this sounds very, very minor, but I just need you to understand that this is something that went on at even 19 years old, and now I'm 42 years old, okay, so... They're very 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 scary you know there is a point believe it or not and i'm actually proud to say this okay but still it doesn't make it right my best friend in the world he was getting married or at least he might have been married at the time um his my best friend in the entire world and when i tell you i got a lot of friends i grew up with uh, the same group of guys we're all the same friends you know believe it or not they're right on my text message right now i must have 300 text messages from him you know and they're wonderful men and I've known them for a long time but there is one in particular that I have and you know I don't want to give away his name we'll just call him Tad how does that sound we'll call him Tad and Tad Tad is the brother that I never had Tad is you know as much as I do as much as I talk bad about my parents and I do love my parents okay um, there are very few people I told you my best friend in the whole world is my sister but I got to tell you if I was to not choose a family member, okay, and as much as I love my parents, and God, I love my wife more than anything, but my God, Tad, to me, is the best person in the entire world, there is no, you know, to have a friend like that, there are no words to describe what it is like for me to have a friend like that, but, you know, so think about how much I love this guy, okay, his ex-girlfriend, landed in my bed naked and thank God you know I don't have I I don't have any good stories for that one that is going to give you you know um, anything to write home about because you know nothing happened thank goodness I actually I, I think what ended up happening was the woman got so drunk at my apartment Uh, her and another friend, and of course, my ex-wife wasn't there, okay? It was my own apartment. We lived in the same development, me and my best friend. He lived with his girlfriend at the time. I believe she got so drunk that she stripped her clothes in my bed. Now, I was in the same bed. It's not like we were cuddling arm in arm. I remember seeing her in the middle of the night, if I recall, and I was so uptight about her being in there that I kind of crawled all the way, made sure I was as far away as possible. I mean, it was a king-size bed. It was a huge bed. There was no way I could be near her. I believe I even fell asleep in another room at first. And then I went into bed, and I saw her there. And when I saw her, I made sure I stayed as far away as possible. And I kind of hung off the side of the bed. And, you know, my best buddy ran into the room. He found us. He found uh, No, I wasn't naked, but he found her naked. And how, how on earth does that look? That doesn't look good. And let me tell you something, when you're somebody who has bipolar disorder and your best friend knows you better than he knows anybody in the world, knows what you're capable of, knows the things that you've done to women, because, you know, he used to be right long there long, alongside of me, you know, what's going to make him think anything different? You know, so thank God, you know, that um, I was able to, not that I had to convince him, I think deep down in his heart he believed me and he knew that it's not something that would have ever happened um you know i guess there is you know it's amazing when you have bipolar disorder i guess there is a fine line when it comes to having a best friend where you just won't cross it so but nevertheless nevertheless you know i ended up still getting married and here's what is amazing you want to talk about depression guys my friends the same friends who are wonderful today a couple of more that i don't really talk to much anymore i'm um, still my buddies but you know not as tight as the other guys The whole group of guys they wanted to take me out for my bachelor party anybody you know you're gonna get married you have a bachelor party and uh they had scheduled a big bachelor party to take me away for the weekend and they came to the house in a limo and do you know that they paid a lot of money for this limo. They were outside in the apartment complex, Mr. Joe's neighborhood, where I live. And uh, I was so depressed. I was so in such a depressive state that I did not walk outside. My friends sat in a limousine waiting for me, and I refused to go out to the point where they just had to drive away and leave me. So I never had a bachelor party. You know, I was so depressed and so miserable and one of my, you know, and it's amazing. I still did not know I had bipolar disorder. That's how confusing it all was. You know, that's how how much we are uneducated about this disorder. That here I am not able to bring myself to go to a bachelor party for my own wedding that I could not get myself out of bed. And, you know, to this day I say to myself, man, maybe if I would have gotten help back then or knew what was going on, you know, I would have done something about it. So, what do I do instead? I get married and I discover cocaine. <laughs> now, for me, I'm going to explain this to everybody. The interesting thing about me and cocaine is when I abused that drug, again, it was only a short period of time, it was about nine months, but my God, did I go to town on that stuff. And,. One of the interesting things about me, and if I haven't described this to you before in a previous podcast, and I may have in Cocaine 101, is for me, mania was what brought on cocaine. And for those of you who don't understand what I'm saying, and I would imagine there are some of you that do, when I am was when I was in my depressed state of mind, I didn't want to do anything. There was nothing that could really lift me up. I was so miserable. I was so sad. I was so not into anything that you know, I didn't even have the... the energy to call a drug dealer didn't even have the wherewithal because I was so depressed it was in my manic state of mind where I was feeling good and I will say this to somebody I will say this to all of you for those of you who may have a drug problem and I really do believe that in my heart that a drug problem Is really an underlying issue of a mental illness. I don't believe that most people are drug addicts. I really don't. I believe people are mentally ill, and they reach for drugs to self-medicate. You know, and I almost—I got very upset with my mother. I talked to her the other day, and I I might have mentioned this. I don't know, but she turned to me and she said she knew why I was the way I was, and it's because I abused drugs. That's why I became bipolar. She said, "You're going to get mad at me." But I want you to know, I think I know why you became the way you became, and that's because you abused drugs. Now, listen, it might not have helped. There's no doubt about that. I could have definitely done some damage there. Okay, but I believe in my heart that most people abuse drugs because they are battling something internally. You know, not necessarily a mental illness. I'd say the vast majority of us do battle a mental illness, but somebody who doesn't know how to cope or deal with their emotions will reach for drugs also, and then they end up getting addicted. Now, for me, with bipolar disorder, I only wanted cocaine when I was high, meaning when I was manic or in hypomania. And what it would do is it would lift me up, and I would. And again, I always say this to people who are abusing drugs there is something in your brain, for some reason, no matter how much you say to yourself, I am not doing it again, I refuse, I've learned my lesson, that was the last time. Something in your brain, even though you have to make a left hand turn to go home to your house, for some reason there is something that gets triggered in that head of yours that instead of the left makes you go right to the drug addict's house or the drug dealer's house. And it's just that it's just it's 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 so hard to explain. And for those of you who have never abused drugs, you might not know. For those of you who have abused drugs, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You're so confident that you can make a left to go home, but yet something in your head makes you go right, and you go right to that drug dealer's house. And, you know, that's what my... I I don't want to blame her, you know. But again, I'm a person who didn't... I hated cocaine. Uh, But it was was introduced to me. It was introduced to me by my ex-wife, And it was all it took was one time, one time, because any time I felt a high, uh, you know, if I was coming home from work and I had a good week and I was feeling good on that particular work week and things went well and I'd drive home and, you know, I'd stop, I'd get a 12 pack of beer and I'd say, oh, you know, this is good, but I need to get even higher. And before you knew it, I was getting, you know, cocaine. And listen, when you're going home to a house where you have a partner who is all for it, (laughs) you know. What's going to stop you? Nothing, nothing. Little do you know, you're doing more and more and more damage. And, um, you know, it, it, it ends up that I got so bad that, you know, I talked about my hospitalization where I tried to commit suicide, tried to hang myself in my garage, and this was coming off cocaine, you know, coming off two and a half grams of cocaine, probably a bottle of uh, vodka, a bottle of wine, 18-pack, maybe a 24-pack of beer, something along those lines. I mean, with bipolar disorder, my God, we could we could take it down the hatch, man, with those drinks. And the interesting thing is when I was hospitalized, I went into that hospital. I'm not going to relive the hospital experience for those of you who have never been admitted to a mental psych ward. It's not a lot of fun. I was there for 15 days, and they labeled me with bipolar 2. And the only reason why they did is because when I went in there, I was so incredibly depressed from coming off the cocaine. You know, that's unfortunately what happens. You're, you're coming off that cocaine and all that alcohol. And I walked in there, you know, crying. And anybody who thinks you're suicidal, especially when you've got rope burns around your neck, um, even though I will say I believe I was in a mixed state at that moment in time. I really do. I believe I was in a mixed state when I tried to commit suicide. I remember feeling just like I felt back in december when i went through some of my mixed, most me- recent mixed states nevertheless when you go into a hospital and you got rope burns around your neck okay and you're suicidal they're going to continue they're going to they're going to assume that you are depressed and that's exactly what was assumed and because i had that one depressive episode they labeled me with bipolar disorder too and that's what I was treated for when I came out. And I was treated incorrectly. There's no doubt in my mind because I went on medication. And basically what I used to do, because I still, again, I was abusing, uh, I was abusing opiates in the beginning of my med- medication regimen. Later on, stopped that, was abusing marijuana throughout. And really what I used to do is, you know, every once in a blue moon, I'd be able to go to my job. But for the most part, I'd be missing it. I'd be waking up in the morning. I'd be smoking bong hits. I'd be trying to drink coffee to stay awake. Uh, I would sleep excessively. I would hide from the children so that they wouldn't see me. I would time it so that, you know, because you still got children and you still don't want to hurt those children. And you know how horrible you look. You feel horrible. I mean, when you're depressed, when you are in depression, and we are going to do something on Depression 101, at some point. Now, it doesn't matter whether I was depressed because of Suboxone or not. We've got to talk about it. We're going to do a one-on-one on depression. But, you know, for me, when I'm depressed, I feel so bad for everybody else because I don't want, it. I don't want, to conf- I don't want them to be confronted with my misery. And that was, that was very true for my young children. I said, it doesn't matter how young they are, what they understand or what they don't understand, I don't want them to see me laying in bed. So I would time it, and I would wait till they went to school. I would put them on the school bus, and uh, you know, certain days I would call in sick. I wouldn't show up, and I would hide, and I would sleep. And then I would I would pray that they wouldn't end up like me. Really, I there were times when I used to be curled up like a ball, crying. Sometimes even near my children, and they wouldn't know I was crying. And I would just pray, pray to the gods above that my Beautiful children would not end up like me. So, um, you know, uh, the other thing is, what's amazing is that throughout all of this, okay, here I am in a marriage and, you know, when I finally got my act back together and, and tried to get on medication and... Um, Stay completely sober from everything, and I was—I was sober at one point. Uh, you know, kind of sober anyway. Okay, I had just finished the opiates. I believe I was still smoking marijuana, but even when I—I I got on a, a good kick of of medicine, it wasn't the right medicine, or at least I wasn't taking it correctly. Because when I finally got back to work, I was probably in a new job for about a week, and before you knew it, I was having another relationship with another person. And that relationship, and those of you who can relate to this, you're going to find this to be interesting, ultimately led to, after me being with somebody and loving them for just one week, two weeks later, I was no longer living in my house. I was packed up. I was out. I was in my parents' house, and I was ready to marry this new girl. I wasn't even divorced. Uh, I was ready to marry a new person. That's what I was ready to do because my wife didn't treat me right. You know, it was time to move on. And listen, a lot of that is true. A lot of what I tell you, you know, about my ex-wife, she was not a good person to me. And I know I was not easy to live with. There is no doubt about that. But there are stories that I could tell you that would make you understand that somebody with bipolar disorder, you need a support system and, you know, I know it's not easy, but it is possible because look at what I'm getting from my wife now. We love each other. She loves me, and she supports me, and she learns about this disorder. She stays with me. She fights through it with me, and, you know, it's taken taken a long time. It's taken about five years for her to come around, so five years it's taken, but she never gave up on me, whereas my ex-wife gave up on me almost instantaneously. I shouldn't say that, probably about after two years she gave up on me, and there were times where I'd be, I'd be eating salsa and chips at the couch, watching TV, doing my own thing, and she'd come over and smash her phone over my head, you know, no prompts, no nothing. (laughs) I mean, and this this is a true story, so she was, she was a little off her rocker, to say the least, but there's nothing that, no matter how messed up she might have been, there is no excuse for a man to get up and leave his family, his two children, and decide that you're going to go move in with your parents because you're going to pursue another love, another love that's not even real. And and to be honest, I hurt this woman. I hurt her tremendously because the feelings were mutual, or at least, you know, so I thought, you know, because I thought it was real for me. And, you know, this poor woman, up until the very day that I crawled, I crawled on my hands and knees as I was, as I was coming off opiates, because that's what ended up happening. Now that now I got my story straight, okay, I was actually still on opiates at the time, um, and that was, I was still on opiates. I met this other woman. Two weeks later, I was out of the house. I was in my parents' and. I gave you my story about how her and I were at the hotel room, and I had stopped using opiates because I didn't know so much about it, and by March 26th of 2007, I found myself crawling on the floor looking for help in my parents' house, and that's when I became clean, so I jumped the gun on that one, okay? I was certainly not clean with this woman, but nevertheless, whatever the case may be, I didn't, I didn't have the right. Maybe I had the right to leave my ex wife, but I did not have the right to pursue another relationship and make that the reason for leaving. I'm in love with somebody else. Come on. None of it's real. Your thoughts are not real when you have bipolar disorder. It's not. It's not real. And then, then, after all of this, after I'm finally, now, I'm finally with my ex-wife and you know i'm back there now and i'm recovered or i'm in recovery and i'm no longer doing any drugs i'm not doing cocaine i'm not doing so uh opiates still smoking marijuana i'm still on my um my drugs for bipolar disorder my pharmaceutical medication and what do i do i say i'm gonna come off on my own that's what i'm gonna do i don't need these drugs anymore i don't need cymbalta and depakote i don't need any of it so what do I do? I start to take myself off. I do listen to the advice of a doctor. It was a very good advice because I went absolutely berserk. Hence the story about me and the situation. Uh, remind you, when I was feeding my lizard, <laughs> for those of you who don't remember, uh, I lost my mind. and I uh, had a, basically a nervous breakdown coming off Cymbalta. And what's amazing and something that I never shared with anybody. We talk about the delusions that might take place during mania. And uh, this does make me feel a little bit better, because I am convinced, although I I have to say, I, I, I talk about today how I've been in the right stable state of mind. Today I saw yellow circles everywhere, shapes. I don't know what that was. But I don't believe I am in a state of mind of depression or mania today, and I'm having some kind of psychotic symptoms. So, a little scary, because what that tells me is it's potentially possible that I do have schizoaffective disorder. But I was able to kind of shake it off and ignore it, and they went away. So that was a good thing. But something that I've never shared with anybody, when I came off Cymbalta, and of course, I ended up back with my parents out of the house, and... uh you know, only to return again at some point and then finally get divorced. But here I am at my parents' house and I'm off Symbolter and, you know, I went through this horrible phase where I, you know, became angry and yelling and my ex-wife got an order of protection against me. I've been through all that already. I told you guys about all that. I specifically remember being at my mother's and some of the horrible bipolar things that I did. I mean, I was out of work. I didn't have a job because I was working with children and I was being accused of child neglect by uh, the court system because my ex-wife had got an order of protection against me, so the state took over. So I couldn't get a job, I kind of left without any warning, made up some um, ridiculous excuse as to why I was leaving, and decided to make my own business at my parents' house, which involved me opening up some kind of a camp. I don't remember exactly what it was. All I know is I had my buddy Tad make me about 5,000 copies, photocopies, of a business that I created. And I ran around town dropping these photocopies off about my new business. <laughs> now, first of all, I got in trouble in half the places I went to because the only places that allowed, the only thing that anybody allowed was a nonprofit organization. A, And this was a fee for service, so I thought. So here I am creating this own business. It was the most asinine, ridiculous thing that I've ever thought of or created in my life. But that's that's what we do. We come up with these ideas that we think they're realistic and they're not. I even started writing a book. And I'm going to tell you, one day I will finish that book. And sadly, I only got up to Chapter 6, and that's as far as I got. But, you know, that was another one. I, uh, I I remember saying that I'm going to write a book and I'm going to be rich from this book. I even applied to be on a talk show to tell my story to the world about how my ex-wife had accused me of child neglect. I asked to be on Dr. Phil. <laughs> for those of you who don't know that Dr. Phil, I don't watch him anymore. What I do know is about two years later, I got an email from Dr. Phil and they said, we're ready for you. And when I opened the email, I said, dear God, what did I do? I said, I'm not going on this show. I said, this has been resolved already. I said, what was I thinking? The worst of all is I was, I was leading towards delusions. And I got very involved with God and the thoughts of religion. And it's very scary. But you know, this is what I guess, happens when you suffer from psychotic symptoms when you have, and again, guys, I was completely clean. I was actually off all of medication, so my bipolar was in full swing. I thought that I was possessed by the devil. There was no doubt in my mind. 100% believed that I was possessed, that I had been taken over by what I referred to as the beast. And uh, what that prompted me to do was start to read the Bible and get very into religion, and before you knew it, I was going to church every single day and I was praying and I was taking pictures and sending them to my friends and look at the, look at the statues and look how into God I am and I was on Facebook and I was posting prayers and you know and then I believed that God was in me. I used to believe that I felt God inside me, and for those of you who are religious. That's not a bad thing to feel in a realistic way. We want to believe, if you are Catholic, and I don't want to get religious on anybody, all right? But if you are from the Catholic religion and some Christianity, a lot of people do feel the presence of what they say is Jesus Christ. That's fine. I don't want to take that away from you. But to believe that you know the man is, ne- is sitting next to you in your room and that you could have a chit-chat with him, You know there's there's something something something's going on there something's wrong okay and I remember it I remember it and uh, it's sad it's really really frightening it's really frightening to think and uh, you know what I will say is that whether I was self-medicating or whether I was just on the medication I was definitely not on the right medication I would say 90% of the time, maybe even more, 95% of the time that I was on medication, what this comes down to, parts one and two, is that I was on my medication and I was abusing drugs, whether it be alcohol or marijuana or opiates or cocaine, the entire time that I was on my drugs for bipolar disorder. And there was never a good moment in my life. There was never a time when it worked. Never a time. There was a time where I self-medicated without being on bipolar medications. That never worked. It never, ever worked. It was temporary fixes my entire life. You know, I would feel good for the moment, and it was temporary. Then I got all my medication, and I decided that I still needed to abuse alcohol and abuse drugs, so that never worked. So now we have Exhibition A, No psychotropic medications, but drugs and alcohol doesn't work. Exhibition B, psychotropic medication, drugs and alcohol, that doesn't work. But then we have exhibition C, and that's Mr. Joe on his bipolar podcast telling you that I am clean and sober from all drugs and alcohol, and I have been for a long time, and I am finally on medication, and it's working. So that's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you to stay clean. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I love you guys out there. I'll be back in a couple of days. Have a good night. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud? Baby, it's the guitar man. Who's going to steal the show? You know, baby, it's the guitar man. We can make love.